0: John chapter one, verse twenty nine. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and on him. And he remained on him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen. ...and have testified that this is the Son of God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. We are continuing with our exposition of the Gospel of John. Just a little bit up a little bit of the Gospel of John. The last time that we were together, we embarked upon the the narrative portion of the Gospel of John. Within the first 18 verses of this chapter, the Apostle John has given us a theological look at Jesus Christ... The first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, they are known as the prologue. The first 18 verses are known as the prologue. In the prologue, John has presented Jesus Christ as the eternal word who was not only with God, but who was also God. In the prologue, the first 18 verses, John has presented Jesus Christ as the creator of all things, as well as the one through which... All things were made in the prologue. Verse 18 verses, John presented Jesus as the light who both gives light to those whom he chooses and wills and also the one who gives life to those whom he chooses according to his will. Verse 18 or verse 12, actually. But to all who received him or did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, this is concerning how they were born or how they became children of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We were born again because of God. It is God who gives life and it is God who gives light. And this is the God or the Christ Jesus that John presents as the one who came in the flesh Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh, the word. He became flesh and he put on display in the flesh, the full glory and grace of God, because he is and was God and he is and was man. This again is known as the hypostatic union in which the supernatural joined with the natural. God became man. This is God who revealed himself to man in a way that he had never done before. And it was done in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reveals himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John the Apostle, like a lawyer who is presenting his case, presents his first witness and calls his first witness to the stand as he makes his case for the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And the first person that the, that the apostle calls to the witness stand is the Baptist, John the Baptist, who was the first to openly testify or give witness concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The first witness is John the Baptist. He comes to the stage and he's going to give witness to the Messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was John the Baptist who was the last Old Testament prophet and who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he cried out concerning Jesus, verse 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was this John the Baptist who Jesus said, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist, Matthew 11, 11. But not because John the Baptist was such a great man. And he was. But because of all the men that were ever born, God chose John the Baptist to carry out the greatest responsibility of any man ever born. This responsibility was greater than any military leader that led soldiers into battle. This responsibility was greater than any position held by a king, a president, ruler or chief. This responsibility was greater than any corporate mogul or technology guru John the Baptist was considered the greatest because he was given the great responsibility of announcing the arrival of the Messiah. Imagine the great honor. Imagine the the great humility that must have come with that responsibility to tell the world to be the first to tell the world that the long awaited Messiah is at the threshold. Behold, our king is entering. Can you imagine? God gives you that great privilege. This great responsibility it humbled this man John. And it was though every time he spoke the only thing that he could say is I'm no one. I'm not the one. Don't look at me. There he is, behold our king. Any time someone followed him, Or pointed their finger at him. He was quick to say, follow him and point his finger to Christ and not himself. He was quick to divert their attention to the only one who is worthy of attention. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As John presents the first witness, we see that in this instance, the Baptist is on the stage for three days. What we'll see in this three day period actually happens over a a week period of time. But the Bible shows it to us in three days. Now we know that he preached the gospel for who knows a dur- how long of time but we do know in this instance John is presenting Christ for 3 days. In those 3 days we will see 3 different groups be his audience and in those 3 different groups that come John is going to make one emphasis. So we have 3 days, 3 different groups And despite the three days, despite the different groups, John is still going to focus on the same emphasis or the same point every single time. Day one, and I'm going to do a little bit review just to catch us up from last week. Day one, group one, emphasis one. So if you're taking notes, day one, group one, emphasis number one. The first group that comes to John the Baptist is a group of priests and Levites. That's the first group, priests and Levites. These priests, some of them were Pharisees. They served as types of intermediates between God and man. They officiated religious ceremonies and were viewed as the theological authorities in Israel. Now, the priests were accompanied by the Levites who assisted the priests in the temple rituals. They served as kind of a security crew. For the priests. The Levites were kind of a security crew. So as they go and are sent, sent and we'll use that word, they, they are sent by the Pharisees, as we'll see later. They come with a probing question, a question that's been bothering everyone since John the Baptist came on the scene. And that question is very simple. It's very easy to understand why they would have that question. It is, who are you? Who are you? We all want to know who are you? And the response that John gives back points to his humility because John the Baptist was perturbed, bothered. He was frustrated by the fact that they would even ask him, are you the Messiah? The fact that anybody would even think that he might be the Messiah bothered him to know it It made him angry. He did not even want people thinking that he was anything close to being a Messiah or the Messiah to John, there was only one that should be considered the son of God, the Messiah, and that was not him. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Well, we saw last time that he denied being Elijah. Literally. If you're asking if I'm the Elijah who came back from heaven, the one who did not see death, but was taken up into heaven back from there. No, it's not me. But Jesus did confirm to his disciples in Matthew chapter 17, verse 10. Elijah is coming and will restore all things. Elijah will come back literally. That's for the future. But I say, Jesus says to you, that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So if you're not literally Elijah, Elijah. Are you the prophet that Moses spoke of, the one who would come and speak the word of God like Moses came and spoke the word of God? No. Then who are you? We need to take an answer back to the ones who sent us, which would be, as we find out later, the Pharisees. And the emphasis that John the Baptist points out is the thing that he lived to proclaim. He says in verse 23, I am the voice. Another version says, I am a voice. Of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Isaiah chapter 40, verse three. The last time that we were together, I emphasized the fact that John said that he's just a voice. But in studying, I I overlooked that the path was being prepared for the Lord. I I, in studying, I, I, I focused on John being a laborer. But then I overlooked the fact that John again points back to Christ He's not even speaking so much about his labor. He's more speaking so about the one who's coming as a result of the labor. But don't focus on the labor. Focus on the one who's coming. The emphasis, again, is Christ. That's the point. I'm working. But ultimately, it's not even about my work. It's about Christ, the one who is coming. That's all that matters is Christ. I mean, we could talk all day long about the different people that we've ministered to, the different places that we've gone. But ultimately, none of that stuff matters. What matters is Christ, not even our work. Although we praise God that he uses us, what matters is Christ. And that's John's emphasis. He's saying it's not even about my work. I'm just a voice preparing the way for God. It's about God. Verse 25, they say, well, why then are you baptizing? If you need the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. Who do you think you are? And we're going to see this theme throughout the synoptic gospels and also throughout the gospel of John. It's a theme or an issue of authority. What gives you the right, John, to come and baptize? You've not gone through any school. You've not been summoned or commissioned by any priest or chief elders. Who has given you the right to do what you're doing? Essentially, who do you think you are? You're coming and calling people to repentance and baptizing them. Who do you think you are? And John's response is, verse 25, I baptize with water. It's just water. It's symbolic, yes. Matthew chapter 3 says, I baptize with water. But he, speaking of the one who will come, again, John points back to Christ. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is wild. You think this is a big deal? It's not a big deal. There's one coming though who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. I mean, John is just bringing himself back down again to say it's just water, but somebody's coming with the Spirit and fire. I mean, I just freak out when I think about John. How awesome and humble this man was. That's nothing to me. We look at John the Baptist and say, "Wow." John the Baptist just—it's water. It's water. I'm nothing. Verse 25, but among you stands one who you do not know. Mm-hmm. Again, pointing back, the emphasis is Christ. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Again, you want to point to who I am and what I'm doing. It's nothing. But there is one who stands among you who is something. Again, it's not me. It's him and he is Everything. You came asking me questions about myself. There is one among you, and he is the one. I'm no one. I am the lowest of, I don't even deserve to be the lowest of slaves in his presence. On that first day, that first group came to John the Baptist, and the only thing that he felt worthy of speaking about was not himself. It was Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? When you have opportunities to share, what do you talk about? What do you share about? What is your interest or what what is your emphasis? Do you speak about a group? Do you speak about a building, a blessing, or do you speak about Christ, the only one who is worth mentioning? What is the emphasis of your testimony? Is it you or is it Christ? Number two, second day, second group, same emphasis. Verse 29, we just read this. The next day, when he saw John, when he's the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him. Wow. And said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he remained on him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me. He upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon. This is this is the one who this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. Second day. This is the next uh, sequence. Now, it appears as though the delegation that was sent to John, the Pharisees, they are still present. Who was also present, though, is a crowd. So before we have just the priests and Levites who were sent by the Pharisees, they are still there. But while they are there, there is also a crowd that has joined them. So the second group is priests, Levites, and the crowd. On the day that John was speaking to the to the delegation, he literally takes notice of something that causes him to jump out of his skin. It seems like and grab everyone's attention. Here's what happened that caused John to freak out. Verse 29. Put yourself in John's shoes now. The next day he saw Jesus. Coming to him. The statement is so dramatic that it could go over our head in reading it. We must understand that up until that moment, he has been speaking, preaching and testifying concerning the Messiah every day. He's speaking. There's one who's coming. There's one that's greater. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals on and on and on. And then all of a sudden he looks up and here he comes. Whoa. Right. And he's not just coming. He's coming toward John. I mean, if you can imagine you've got a crowd, you've been looking for the Messiah You now see him, and he's not looking at anybody else but you, and he's coming straight toward you. Can you imagine when John, the apostle, sees Jesus in the book of Revelation? The Bible says he falls down like a dead man. He sees Jesus and just collapses. My Lord and my God. Can you imagine when Isaiah got a vision of God in the Old Testament? He fell on his face and says, I can't even look at you. John the Baptist is waiting for this Jesus, and here he comes. Can you imagine Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, walking toward you? Fire in his eyes. The Bible talks about it. He sets his face as flint. He was already determined. Here we go. And John is the first person to initiate that ministry. I look through Scripture, and I saw the book of Revelation. John falls dead. I saw Isaiah. He falls dead. But there's literally... There's not much that compares to that moment for me. John was literally waiting, looking, hoping, praying, and knowing that the Messiah is close. And then here he comes. You played hide and go seek, and you know they're—this yeah, is so—you know they're around. You know they're coming. You got to go to the bathroom because you're so nervous, right? You're Shh, don't breathe, don't breathe. And then they open the door. You're like, oh my God! There you, and you know it. it's just weird. That's, that's that's not even close to explaining that. But you get that feeling of they're right there. One earthly experience that does not even compare is the first time I saw and met Manny Pacquiao. And you guys know me as a fan. Waiting in the morning, all that stuff, and then all of a sudden everyone saying He's coming up the hill, he's running up the hill, and I'm just like, you know, running in, in place, so excited. And then he runs right by me. There he goes. That's just like grabbing my brother, there he goes. I can imagine John looks up, sees Jesus, and can't even contain himself, like pushing people aside, splashing water, jumping up and down maybe and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. <laughs> Why a lamb? Why not behold the king? Why not behold the conqueror? Why not behold the destroyer? Instead, behold the Lamb. We see later that Jesus is called Rabbi. He's called Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man, King of Israel. But he's first introduced to all of Israel as behold the Lamb. You know a lamb? They're weak. They can't fend for themselves. The Bible also even calls them dumb, not Jesus. But the concept of a lamb was to be understood sacrificially. All throughout Israel's history, God had revealed clearly that sin and separation from him could only be eliminated through the sacrifice of an animal, more specifically a lamb. No forgiveness or remission of sins could be granted by God apart from that acceptable substitute dying on behalf of the sinful people. The people were aware of this. They knew about Abraham's confidence when he went to go and sacrifice his son that God would provide a lamb. Or God would provide a sacrifice. They knew about the Passover lamb and the tradition of daily sacrifices offered in the tabernacle. Then later in the temple, they were aware of Isaiah's prophecy in which he compared the Messiah to a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And all throughout Israel's history, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the prophet, the king, the conqueror. And Jesus is those things. But God sent them a lamb. A perfect, spotless lamb. The title lamb of God, John was looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would present himself on the cross for the sin of the world. And with that statement, John, the Baptist highlights the purpose of his coming to announce the lamb and also the purpose of Christ coming to be a lamb. Jesus came not to overthrow kings. Not to sit in palaces, not to give wealth to every single person or make every single person healthy. He came to deal with and to conquer sin. That was the purpose of his coming. It was spoken over him when the angels announced his birth, speaking to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, before he was born. The, The angel said, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 121. Jeremiah seventeen nine tells us that sin is the main problem at the heart of every human being. And that is exactly the point of the coming of Christ to deal with that sin. The passage in this in this verse says the world behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Does that mean that every single person without exception is going to be saved from their sins? Well, to some people, they say Yes. Some people, they will take this passage to mean that every single person is saved from their sins. Therefore, every single person is going to be saved. This is called universalism. And they use it to state the claim that every single person will be saved. However, this word world or cosmos has a variety of meanings depending on the context. In this context, the world is speaking about sinful humanity in general. Sinful humanity in general, because the word sin is singular, it is used as a collective noun, meaning all of the people in all of the world are sinners. So Christ came to deal with a sin problem that all of the world has. The sacrifice was going to be made. Generally, it is a sacrifice offered to all people without distinction. It was going to transcend national, racial, ethnic bounds. The sin of the world. Can you bring that air down a little bit for me, please? Now, although listen close, although the sacrificial uh, death is sufficient, everybody say sufficient, sufficient to cover everyone's sins. John 316, John 424, 4, 4, John 651, First Timothy 2, six, Hebrews two nine, First John 4, 4. It is only effective for those who believe and put their trust in Christ alone. It is sufficient for all, but effective only for those who believe. Where do I get that from? John 3:16. John actually 3:15 through 16 and 18 and 36, John 5:24, John 6:40, John 11:25 through 26, John 20:31, 20, Luke 18, Luke 8:12, 8, Acts 10:43, and I can go on and on and on. The point is this. This verse is not teaching universalism. It is teaching that Jesus is the only savior that the world has any hope of being saved through. I'll say that again. This verse is teaching that Jesus is the only savior that the world has any hope of being saved through. There is no other hope besides Christ. And a third time. To this third group, to the second group, John emphasizes his only emphasis. Verse 30. This is he on whom behalf I said after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me again. John, after this begins to reveal that he did not know him in verse 31. He says, I didn't even recognize him. We can make some assumptions here. We knew that John, the Baptist's mother and Jesus's mother were related. Therefore, John, the Baptist and Jesus Christ were cousins. Mary actually came and stayed with John's mother, Elizabeth, during their pregnancy. So they must have talked during their raising. Like, how's your son of of God doing? And good. How's your prophet doing? Like all of that. Maybe it had to have come up. Couldn't it? Didn't it? I mean, I'm assuming. And maybe even the kids played together as children. Who knows? But the thing is, John says, I didn't even recognize him. I didn't recognize it was my cousin. I didn't know it was him. Verse 31, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. This is important. Listen now, John was sent by God to baptize because this was the way in which God was going to reveal John to John and to all of Israel who the Messiah was going to be. He says, I came baptizing so that he might be manifest God sent me to baptize because this was the way in which God was going to reveal to me who the Messiah was. Verse 33. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize important. He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So John says God sent me to baptize because through baptism he was going to reveal to me the son. Or the Messiah. So Pharisees, delegation, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because God sent me. Second thing is, when he sent me, now I'm looking for Messiah. John sees the son and the son, the spirit of God descends on him. And now it is confirmation. This is the one. This is important. Verse 32. I've seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained on him. John saw a sign or witness a vision. It was the Holy Spirit coming down and landing on Jesus. Listen now, like a dove, a side note, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. I know when you go to weddings, you're like, oh the Holy Spirit. when, you know, when they let go of the doves in our funerals, there goes the Holy that it's not a dove. He, I mean, he's not a dove. Get that out of your head. The imagery that John is trying to give us is this landing or descending. And the closest thing that he can compare it to is a dove or how a dove lands. He's not saying the Holy Spirit was a dove and it landed on Jesus shoulder. Then it went inside of his ear and none of that stuff. Could have been, it could have been a canary for all that. It could have been an owl for all. He's just trying to give you imagery of how the spirit of God came down. OK, so when someone's, you know, they want to get a tattoo of a dove. Listen, it's not a dove. You know, whatever. Verse 34, I have seen and have testified that this is the son of God. This is the sixth time within five verses that John emphasizes Christ, the sixth time within five verses that John emphasizes his witness to Jesus Christ. So in front of the delegation, he speaks of Christ in front of the delegation and the crowd. He speaks of Christ. John speaks or testifies about Christ. And there seems to be redundancy even in what I'm saying. But can you imagine what John was saying? The only thing you want to talk about was Jesus. Can you imagine being around someone like that? That all they want to talk about is Jesus. That's why people at work hate you. Nothing else matters. Jesus is all that matters. You want to talk to me about I heard Brother Ray, they call him pastor at work because all he talks about is Christ. That's a good thing. I'd rather you call me pastor than something else that rhymes with that word. You know that word, you sinners. That's why you're laughing. Yeah, right, Willie. Yeah, hey, to call you out huh? We know from this meeting that that John did reluctantly baptize Jesus. And this happened in the wilderness of Bethany. It's not the Bethany that we all are familiar with near the uh, There's one Bethany, there's another Bethany that's further out into the wilderness. Number 3. Third day, third group, same emphasis. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with his two disciples and and he looked at Jesus as he was walking and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him and they followed Jesus. The third day, it's the smallest group. It consists of only two men. So the first day is a delegation. It's priests and Levites. Second day, priests, Levites and a crowd. The third day, two men. And we know who one of those two men are because verse 40 tells us it was Andrew. But the other person is not mentioned because the writer of the gospel of John is always reluctant to say anything about himself. Because the other disciple was John. John and Andrew are following John the Baptist until John the Baptist again speaks about the only thing that is worth his time. The Lord Jesus Christ and says, behold, the Lamb of God and as if, it, as I said last time, it was as if John was saying, what are you still doing here? Behold the lamb of God. I'm camel's hair, locust, locust and wild honey. Behold the lamb. Get out of here. Go, go. And he is, in a sense, entrusting his disciples to Christ. He is, again, The willingness to become less, the willingness to get out of the way and to acknowledge this is not my show. It's not my stage. I have no stage. I want no stage. He is the Lamb of God. It's about him. He was, in a sense, handing them over to Jesus, the one who created them. The Lamb of God. I love they wasted no time. They went. They went right after him. And that's what a true believer does. does. When a true believer sees Christ, they don't think about it and say, "Uh, I'll wait a little while. I'll go bury my loved one. I'll care for things at home. They don't start to say, well, let me finish this job first. As the three people who came to Jesus and they don't wait and say, let me wait till I get righteous enough. When they see the lamb, they follow the lamb. When they see Christ, they follow Christ. And John emphasized Christ again. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the lamb of God. And the only proper response to that kind of person who takes away the sin of the world is to follow him. That's the only response to Jesus is you follow him. If you don't follow him, then you reject him. And if you reject him. then there is a hell awaiting you. We point to him. We proclaim him and we pursue him. That's the life of a believer. That was the life. As I get done with John the Baptist, that's the life of John. He lived to point to Christ and his life was lived in such a way that he was living for something bigger than himself. And people could see it in the way that he lived. I mean, he lived in the desert. He had no other, no other pursuits in life. No other goals in life. His only goal was to live his life, to point to Christ. And let that be an encouragement to you, that when people see your lives, that they see that your life is lived in such a way that it only can point to one person. And that's not you. You're not living your life to point to yourself. You're not trying to look, act and be a certain way so that people can say, look at you. Instead, you want to fall down on your face, on your face before God every single day and say, God, change me so that I can be a witness for you. Give me your eyes, your ears. Let people see you in me so that I can point back to you. What a joy it was yesterday to proclaim the gospel to people in the marketplace. And it reminded me when I was sitting with those three individuals that this is the thing that makes the most sense in my life. Sitting down and sharing the gospel with three people and walking away with, from them and them saying, thank you for doing what you're doing. Please keep doing it. Man, what an encouragement. I sat back and thought, what took me so long to get back out to the marketplace? No. No. We must live our lives in such a way that it points in everything that we do to Christ. We live to proclaim Christ, as John. That's our message. Our message is not our addiction. Our, our message is not our prison. Our message is not our wealth or lack of wealth. My message is Christ. It's His life. It's His death. It's His resurrection, and it is His return. My message is Christ. I preach Christ. I proclaim Christ. I point to Him. I I proclaim Him, and then last, I pursue Him. We pursue with all that is within us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not allow ourselves to be distracted or deterred from the pursuit that will cost us our lives, but it will ultimately gain us Christ, which is so much better. Let us be like John the Baptist, because this was his sole purpose for living to point, proclaim and pursue Christ. Let us pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus name. We do thank you for your grace and your mercy and we pray for the strength to to live out a life that points to you, to live out a life that we are bold enough to proclaim you, Lord, to cry out as John the Baptist did. And Lord, to live a life in which we pursue you with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. God, we thank you that you will do this great work in us and that many people, Lord will be the benefactors of you doing this work in our lives and that they would come to the kingdom and taste and see just how good you are. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Have a great day.